0: Pray with me. Loving God, as we dive into the Gospel of Mark, hearing stories and hearing your words, hopefully afresh in our ears this morning and in the weeks to come, we ask that you would connect us with you in a deeper way. Remind us that we are called by you to be your disciples, to share your good news with the world. Help us to hear that good news for ourselves this day so that in the hearing of it and the praising of your names, we may be transformed in your presence and truly become your people in all places. We ask this all in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior.
1: Amen. The first scripture reading today comes from the book of Mark, chapter 1, verses 14 to 20. If you want to read along in your pew Bibles, that's page 35 of the New Testament. Now after John was arrested, Jesus came to Galilee proclaiming the good news of God and saying, The time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe in the good news. As Jesus passed along the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, Follow me, and I will make you fish for people and immediately they left their nets and followed him. As he went a little farther, he saw James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John, who were in their boat mending the nets. Immediately he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men and followed him.
0: We continue with our gospel reading, moving to chapter two, Mark chapter 2, verses 18 to 22. If you're following along in the Pew Bible, it's right there, right after where we just were. Uh, on page 36, starting in verse 18. Now John's disciples and the Pharisees were fasting, and people came and said to him, Why do John's disciples and the disciples of the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not fast? Jesus said to them, The wedding guests cannot fast while the bridegroom is with them. Can they? As long as they have the bridegroom with them, they cannot fast. The days will come, when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and they will fast on that day. No one sews a piece of unshrunk cloth on an old cloak, otherwise the patch pulls away from it. The new from the old, and a worse tear is made, and no one puts new wine into old wineskins, otherwise the wine will burst the skins, and the wine is lost, and so are the skins. But one puts new wine into new wineskins. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. We are beginning our journey through the gospel of Mark. Every year or the last couple of years, we've been doing the narrative lectionary, and each year a gospel is assigned to it. Last year, we walked through Matthew from the time of, of post-Christmas to, to Easter. This time, it's the gospel of Mark. Most scholars agree that the gospel of Mark was the first gospel that was put to paper. There may have been other writings before that, there may have been traditions passed down and stories told told verbally, but it's expected that the Gospel of Mark is the first of the four Gospels that were committed from pen. It's suspected or understood that by many that the Gospel of Mark was written and put to paper in the year 70 AD, roughly 30 years after Jesus' death. The context around all of this is it was shortly after there was a rebellion in Israel, in in Judea, against the Roman Empire. And the Roman Empire, as you may know or may not, is they didn't like rebellion very much. If you agreed with them, if you went with the flow, if you paid your taxes, they generally left you alone. Especially in Judea, because they had this special circumstances, the, the, the Jews that they could worship their God, they didn't have to participate in, the, in the, the pagan rituals that marked life, and so they were given this special status. But many in Judea did not like being under occupation, understandably so, and so they revolted, and Rome responded in kind. Jerusalem was destroyed, and the temple was destroyed with it. It's in this context that the Gospel of Mark was put to paper. And just as we read the scripture today and we read it in light of the things going on around us now, it's also true when Mark was writing it. The context of it all and the reality of what was going on around them shaped the stories that Mark was telling and the way that Mark was telling them. And he begins this gospel, this is the beginning of the good news, now this, if you go back to the, to the first chapter of Mark and, and, and you read the first three or four verses are one long sentence in Greek. There's no punctuation, there's, maybe, there's a couple of ca- uh, commas that we put in, but it's just one long sentence declaring that this is the beginning of the good news of the Son of God. Make, and then he pulls in that the Isaiah passage of making straight his paths and a voice carrying out in a wilderness and moves into who John is, pointing to John as the Elijah, proclaiming and heralding the good news. Now, this good news, this euangelion, this wo- Greek word that's used here, is most excuse me mostly deals with the, the Roman Empire. The evangelion was, was messengers. There were people that would run across the empire passing on good news, passing on the news that something major had happened, some transformation had happened, a battle, a war had been won, or the emperor had chan, changed something or conquered someone, and, and, and it was good news. And these people would run across the countryside from town to town and village to village, crying out, euangelion, good news, good news, something has happened. Something has transformed, and it is good news for all people. This is the image that Mark wants to evoke, and we get this image throughout the gospel because there's one thing that Mark does well, and he is an amazing storyteller. His writing, his Greek, wasn't all that flowery like we see in Matthew and Luke, and it certainly wasn't as flowery as we see in John in the imagery and metaphor that's used. Mark is getting to the point, and he tells stories well. He keeps the attention. We get the sense that this gospel was primarily and initially shared through verbal storytelling. Gather in, gather near to me. Come hear the story that I have to tell you. This story is the beginning of the good news. Now, spoiler alert: it begins with good news. It ends with crucifixion, and that is still good news. And so, Matthew, Mark, sorry, Mark, in his storytelling, uses this phrase, and then and this and that repeatedly through the gospel. Mark has a place that he wants you to go and he wants you to get there as quickly as possible so that you can hear the good news and then you can go out and share it and tell others about it. He wants you to hit the ground running. There is no birth story in the Gospel of Mark. There is none of that, this is who Jesus is as the the Son of God, the the one from the beginning. This is just, this is Jesus. This is the good news. He immediately started and got baptized by John, and then he immediately went to work. He's got a long way to go and a short time to get there because he knows the people that that are listening to this Probably, like today, sometimes have a short attention span. We hear the story, we begin to notice it, but then we're easily distracted and drawn away. And he wants you to keep at it. And this happened, and this happened, and then Jesus did this, and then Jesus did that. Just keep on going and moving forward. And so Jesus, beginning his ministry, and this beginning of the good news... Jesus is never, never goes about his ministry all by himself. He never expects to be alone on this journey and all that he has to do. The first things he does is call disciples to him. He calls a couple of fishermen that had been out all day, or all night working, and they were mending their nets. They were Finished with their work, they were bringing it in, they had brought in the catch, and now it was time to repair what had been broken during the night and begin their work, or wrap up their work so that it, everything was ready to move on. As they were repairing the damage from the night before, making sure that everything would be in place for the next day, this man, this, this Jesus fellow that maybe they had heard of, but there wouldn't have been reason to, in the Gospel of Mark anyway, to know who this guy is, and he calls them and says, come with me, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. I will make you fish for people. Now, I don't know about you, but if some stranger walked up to me while I was busy working, And he said, come on, come with me. Leave everything behind. Leave your work, leave your families, leave all that you've built up, leave your boats, leave your nets where you are, leave it all behind and come and follow with me and I will make you fish for people. I don't think I would have been able to say yes at that point. I don't know. That's a big ask from a complete stranger. But there was something in the way Jesus presented himself, there was something in the ask, there was something in the invitation that must have drawn them so captivatingly that they left it behind. And they followed. And they became a part of this good news that starts in the beginning of the gospel. And Jesus then goes to another and another and invites them come and be with me. Come and travel with me, learn from me, do what I do and be a part of the story. And they go and they walk beside him and we hear through the Gospels where they get it right. We hear in the Gospels where they get it wrong and they do get it wrong all the way up to the end and beyond, they get it wrong. But they are faithful in their journey. They are challenged by Jesus through the Gospels. They walk, they, 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 they check their assertions, they, they argue amongst themselves and eventually are corrected and then work together. But they're on this journey, not as experts, not as people lifted up as the perfect example of how we should live, but as people like us who have lives, had stories, have stories, and have now been called by Jesus to walk beside him on this journey, to be a part of the good news, the evangelion, the transformation of all things, the message that needs to be heralded and shared in communities, in our churches, in our workplaces, the good news that something transformative has happened. That the world order has been transformed. That the way things are are not the way things have to be. And through Jesus Himself, the one the Scripture proclaims as the Son of God, our lives too can be transformed. And you don't have to be stuck in the past. You don't have to be stuck waiting. You don't have to be sitting wondering what am I supposed to be doing? How am I supposed to live? How am I supposed to treat my neighbor? How am I supposed to think about the afterlife? How am I supposed to approach the unknown? And Jesus gives us the answers. Jesus gives us some certainty. And again, not all of the answers as we talked about over the summer. But even in the unknowns, because we have faith in Christ, because we are with him on the journey, we can find peace and comfort even in the midst of the unanswered questions. So I think one of the things that we need to work on for ourselves and as we share the good news is we've got to counter and we've got to uh, challenge this idea that we are not good enough to be called, that we are not good enough to go on the journey, or if you're later in your journey, that I am no longer useful. God can no longer use me. God can no longer rely on me because my strength will fail at any moment. I don't have the energy. I don't have the passion. I don't have any of the things that I used to have. And we have to meet both of those statements head on. Both of those ideas because both will cause us to sit and give up, to stop walking on the journey, to stop following with Christ. One will keep us from walking at all and joining him in the good news, and one will stop us from the continuing the journey and still being a part of what God is doing, even if it's not what we think it ought to be. Can somebody get me some water. Please, I'm sorry. Something in that strained my voice a little bit. <clears throat> I apologize. Even if it's, what we, if it's not what we think it ought to be. For Berwin, this is the question for us. As we work together, as we seek to be God's people in this place, in our communities and around where we live, we have to decide for ourselves. We have to answer that question. Do I feel spent up and worthless and unusable by God and therefore we give up and we move on? Excuse me. Thank you. Or do we find ways for God to use us and latch on to that and say, God, I know I'm not as strong as I used to be. I can't do the work that I used to do. I can't stand as long as I used to stand. I can't put in the time and the energy that I used to do. I just can't anymore. And do we say, because we can't do what we used to do, we can't do anything. I can't answer that question for everyone in this room. I can ask the question, and that's my role right now. For you, for where you are right now, do you see yourselves as usable, as a partner, as on the journey with Christ? Are you resting and stopping and saying, I'm done? There's a lot of work ahead of us as a church if we want to keep going if we have a hope of continuing in whatever that journey may be, there are a lot of challenges to look at and say, you know, I, I, I just don't see a path forward. There's not the energy. There's not the passion. We don't have the money. We don't have whatever we think we need to do what needs to be done. And all of those challenges are real. They're not going to go away magically. Magically. What we can do is in the face of those challenges say, you know, I've put in the time, I've put in the energy, I've done my part, I'm done, which I understand that sentiment. Or we can say, you know, I can't do what I used to do, but I'm not done yet. Let's find a way of working together. Let's find a way of Walking on this journey, proclaiming the good news. But do it that's uniquely ours as we are right now. It won't look like what it did 30 years ago, 40 years ago. The world doesn't look like what it did 30 or 40 years ago. But it can truly be transformative. One example... And only a couple of people took us up on it. I know we we talk about the challenges of having a building of this size and and some of the repairs that have had to happen and still need to happen and everything that goes with it. and, 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 And I've been known to say, you know, I'm kind of one big repair away from a nervous breakdown. I don't know if there's a few others in this room as well. If they call me for one more thing. And I was almost at that point on Tuesday again. Came in, and there was water dripping here, and there was water dripping over there, and there was water dripping over there, and there was, just le- there was just water everywhere from that rainstorm that we had. And I'm finding buckets and trash cans saying, why in the world do we need a building? <laughs> Let's be in the parking lot under a tent. I don't know. But at the same time. So that's where I was Tuesday night or Monday night, whatever the, rain, the big rainstorm was that came through with the heavy rain. And I was heartbroken, I was exhausted, I was frustrated, I had all of those emotions. And the next morning, it was after the rain had stopped, the sun was shining, but I started seeing some posts online of, does anybody know where to go to charge, where we can charge our phones? Does anybody know where we can get warm? We, We don't have any power. And I started seeing a couple of these posts, and I was like, you know, we have power. We have a building. We have a parlor that has comfortable couches. We have a library that has a, a, an office table. If need be, we could have a kitchen if anybody needed to eat, but we have co- coffee makers that we use every Sunday here to get to talk and meet around those tables. It's like, we don't have much, but what we do have, we can offer. And so I made a few posts on Facebook and, and, and a few neighborhood groups, and a few neighborhood apps outside of that. And I said, you know, if, if you need it, if you need to get warm, if you need to charge your phones, if you need a place to grab a warm cup of coffee and maybe Starbucks isn't for you or you feel guilty because you can't afford the coffee there, but so you don't want to take up a space, use ours. Now, I also mentioned that we have a shower for anybody that may need to shower. There's a shower down at the end, in the bathroom at the end of the hall. If you didn't know it exists, it does. And I didn't know who would take us up on that. And to be honest, only two people did, one completely unrelated to the church. But the reality was, for that person, it gave a place to be warm, to work in a quiet place, to grab a cup of coffee, and to find a little comfort and hospitality. And then there was about 150 to 200 other people that said, hey, thanks for offering that. Thanks for the offer. Thanks for being a part of our community. Thanks for blessing us. It truly was a blessing to see this offer made. This is something that we were able to do. It didn't take Herculean effort. It didn't take months of planning. It didn't even take a committee and an executive decision to say, hey, should we do this? It just took a seeing the need in a, in the community, and saying, "Hey, we can meet that in some way." And then praying for and blessing those who take part in it and use it, and being assigned to our community that we're here and we care about them. This is what we can do. We're not here to make big Herculean efforts and major moves and and bright and extravagant things in ministries but what we can do is create a place that are hung is hungry for people or a place who are hung for people who are hungry for relationship for deeper connection for meaning for hope for a comfortable place to exist where they feel welcome and loved and say we can be that place for you and we can do that around common meals we can do that through just being an open, having open doors. There's a million ways that we can be that place that don't require 500 volunteers, that don't require stage sets and designs, that don't require just all of the things that we think we need to do to be a, a church and do ministry like we used to. Now, if I had more time and I thought about it, I would have called a few people and said, hey, there's some folks coming in do you want to come and sit with them? Or do you want to make sure they have, get a smiling face and so it wasn't just me? But I just wanted to get that invitation out. So that's what I want you to think about. These are the, the ideas, the, the dreams, and the hopes. It's not huge. But as you see our community, as you see those people who are in need or, who are, or lonely, think, what can we do to see those needs and meet them. And how can we work together? Because if we have a bunch of people who have half the energy they used to, all working together, you still can accomplish amazing things. Not huge things, but good news things. Good news in the face of difficulty, in the face of life challenges, In the face of uncertainty, in the face of isolation and loneliness, in the face of darkness, in the face of racism, in the face of all of these things, in the face of crucifixion, we are a people crying out good news, for we are part of of that journey. In our bulletin
1: is our prayer of confession. Let's pray together in unison. Gathering God. Your love for your world brought you among us and you surround yourself with all kinds of people. We confess that we aren't sure about all of them though. You say now is the time and yours is the way, but we admit we aren't quite ready for what you're proposing. Forgive us when we look down on the very people you came to love and serve. Forgive us when we can't quite stretch to include all your people in our own community and when we insist no one else should either. Forgive us for the many times when your body, the church, does not reflect your life on earth. Gather us in your and open our hearts to sit at the table with all your people, celebrating and creating the community of love you bring to fulfillment in Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray, amen. Take heart, beloved community, for the light of Christ shines. In his forgiveness, we discover healing, and in his love, we are made whole. Please take that peace and that forgiveness that Christ has given each of us and pass it to your neighbor. May the peace of Christ be with you.
0: We are not alone. We are on this journey of life and ministry and hope and transformation together. When we see signs of God at work in our lives and in our communities, we share them with those who did not see them so that they too can celebrate and give God glory. And when we are hurting, when we face uncertainty, when we face pain, suffering, and loss, We share them with one another so that we might pray for one another. So that we might lift one another up and make one another's burdens lighter. This is what it means to be a part of a beloved community in prayer. Let us pray. Gracious God, we give you thanks that you have gathered us as your people. That you invite us along that journey. That you bring us forward and give us strength when our strength fails. That you give us signs that you are at work that we with opened eyes can see and say this is where God is bringing transformation. This is where the good news is taking root. Look people and see and take heart. Open our eyes so that we might see you in our midst. Open our eyes and clear our vision so that we might see definitively where you are. And open our ears so that we might hear your call that says come and I will make you fishers of men. Help us to be your disciple people united together in prayer, in praise, in work and in wonder. Let us go about the work that gives us strength, that nourishes our spirit, that reminds us that we are a part of something greater let us find those things that would keep us from hearing you, those things that zap our strength and our energy, those things that, we do not, that do not work towards your kingdom. And even if they are beloved things, let us turn away from them so that we might direct our efforts, we might direct our lives and our energy and our praise to you and what you are doing we give you thanks for the signs of new life and transformation and we give you thanks for the birth of granddaughters and all of the joy and the laughter that that brings and as new life comes in let us remember those memories for ourselves the joy we felt and the laughter and the promise of new life that we felt When we last held those infants in our arms, let us see the promises that we once saw so clearly in their lives and in our own. Let us see them anew. We pray for the new directors at Merrill Gardens, that wisdom would guide them, that transition is always hard, but can be the birth of something new. We pray for all those who came through our doors as we open those for, for, open them for those who were cold, who needed a place to work or recharge. We may not see them again, but we ask that your blessing to be upon them. Help us to see all of the ways that we can be the harbingers, the announcers, the embodiment of your good news in our community. Not feeling like failures because we can't do what we once did. But enlivened because we are doing what you need and ask of us even now. And whatever subtleties it takes, let us take heart. Let us be renewed. Let us be quickened by walking beside you. Answering your call and being your people. And as we seek to serve, renew us again in our promise to dive into your word and study it. To apply it. To meet together and worship in small groups. To pray. To fast. To do all of those things that you have given us, not out of obligation, but out of ways of connecting with you hearing your voice, and being transformed into your people for the journey ahead. We pray for our community. We pray for all those who are cold and struggling, especially in the winter months, who because of the cold will have to make difficult decisions between warmth, food, medication. We long for that day when such decisions will not need to be made and we know that those people that have, will face those difficult decisions are well hidden in our community. And so we ask, them to show the, ask you to show them to us and show us ways that we can minister to them. But we pray even in these long months when the decorations are down and the lights are off and the tree is no longer up and it seems so barren and bleak that those who are feeling lonely, who feel unwanted and unloved, who feel alone and isolated, who may question their place in this world, that we might speak to them, that we might be in a a loving embrace, a warm smile and a kind word, and an invitation to something deeper. We pray for our nation. We pray for, well, all of the politics going on. And the process that begins in Iowa. When we have no idea what to pray for, what to hope for, or what may come, help us to find our strength in you, our assurance in you, our peace in you. But never let us stop fighting for justice and righteousness, for your will. We pray for the world, for all those who face violence and the threat of violence. Face hunger, face oppression and injustice, who are hated and despised because of what they believe, color of their skin, their gender, or who they love. We build up so many barriers, oh God, in our lives, in our communities, and in our world communities. We build up barriers that you yourself tore down. And even worse, we often do it thinking we're doing your will. If we seek to, to see the world change, we ask you to show us through our words and through our deeds when we work for your kingdom or against it. Many of the things we place in your care, we do so because they are way beyond our control. But we ask you to change the things that are. We ask this all in the name of Jesus Christ who continually calls us to follow him, to walk beside him, to learn from him, to be transformed by him and to carry his good news into all the world as his disciples. And and we pray as Christ taught his disciples. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Our closing hymn for this morning is number 344. Lord, you have come to the lakeshore. I invite you to rise as you are able, as we sing it together. Receive this benediction. Christ our Lord invites us to walk beside him, to gather our strength from him, to walk beside him and carry the good news that we have heard and we have experienced for our lives, that true transformation is possible, that the world has been transformed. May we take energy from him. May we seek to follow him where he leads us. May we take all that we have heard and all that we have done and all that we have said and all that we have prayed from our doors out into a world that desperately needs to hear it. Now let us say together the words we say each week and may they become a part of our prayer and our living. Send to us all the people who feel unwanted and loved everywhere else. If they can't come to us, send us to them. May you go from this place in the strength and knowledge and guidance of God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. May he guide you, protect you, keep you safe, and and direct your actions until we meet again. Amen.